Heavenly Father, um, we thank you and praise you and worship you and recognize that you are the greatest God anywhere ever. We invite you here to be with us and, and teach us tonight. Amen. Uh, we actually, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, we covered some of the the main ish, the main items uh, of the clothing of the the high priest. Uh, we, we'll review some of it, um, not to go into great detail, but but to draw out some of the uh, spiritual significance. So, if you remember. Uh, the high priest on his special outfit was what? What did he have um, that set him apart from the other priests? The onyx stones. The onyx stones, okay. Did, did the onyx stones, where were the onyx stones? Shoulder straps which were connect, was connected to the ephod, and the ephod was basically like a uh, combination robe, um, uh, what do you call it? Apron. Apron, thank you. Um, very, very ornate. Um, and so what was special about the onyx stones? That the names of the tribes? The name of the tribes, now, if you were here, you remember we talked about what it would have taken to get the names of six tribes on one of these onyx stones. Okay, what else uh, do you remember besides the onyx stones? Mr. Cable. The breastplate. Okay, tell us something about the breastplate. What was it made of? No clue. All right. How about some gold? Um, what was on the breastplate were stones. special... Hmm? Stones. So what kind of stones? Precious. I know it's kind of Urim and Tumim. We'll get to the Urim and Tumim in just a second. Uh... But the breastplate had other things besides the Urim and Tumim. Again, remember what was... It had the stones of the 12 tribes. Thank you. Uh, the number 12 appears over and over and over again. Not that we are interested in Bible code, you know, like some people look for the numbers and try to connect. Obviously, 12 is extremely significant. So yes, we would expect that there would be 12 tribes. Uh, and then we have the Urim. This does not work. I should throw it out. Um, Urim Ve Tumim. Okay. Um, now, again, remember, folks, by the way, would you, if you have electronic gizmos, would you please... Uh, I, re I should remember that. My grandson called me in the middle of a meeting and I did not have it. Um, it was very embarrassing. Give me a second, please. Okay. Yalla. Oh. Um, okay. So... Remember, folks, that a typical approach on the part of people who study Scripture is where the Word of God gives us lots of information, we kind of breeze over it. Where Scripture is ambiguous, that's where we spend hours and hours and hours and, and write books and so on. Orm and Tumim is one of those examples. Uh, we don't have a ton of information. Uh, and people speculate because Urim is connected to the word Or, which is Hebrew for light. So they think that maybe Urim, the Tumim, maybe Tumim had to do with darkness, kind of opposite. 
what we do know is the Orem and Tumim uh, were part of the breastplate. They, they were like uh, in a pocket on the breastplate. Uh, what we also know is that the, uh, they were part of discerning the will of God and we're not quite sure what that was like other than it was something like um, a yes and no kind of a system which again doesn't make a whole lot of sense but remember in Acts chapter 1 how did the disciples choose the successor to Judas they cast a no, they cast lots. something. Remember? They cast lots. lots. And basically lots are like dice. Uh, and you think from 21st century believing perspective, okay, is that how you figure out God's will? Uh, remember that before they did that, what did they do? They used Urim and Tumim. No, they prayed. Yes. Urim and were not probably, well... Urim and Tumim were in existence up until the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Hmm? Can I say something? Yes, you may say something. When I was little, my dad told me that Urim and Tumim was representing like Holy Spirit. So it was like a lot of decision was made, whatever they were showing. Uh, yes and no, except... All right, let, let me be a little clearer. No. Um, yes, the Holy Spirit gives us, leads us into all truth. That's what Yeshua says. Um, however, there's nothing in Scripture to indicate that uh, the high priest um, was anointed by the Spirit and empowered and given information. What the Orm and Tumim clearly seem to be is something that God used like a yes and no kind of a system. All right, let's let's take a look at one of those examples and, and we'll come back to the onyx stones in, in just a minute. Um, let's see if I can find it. First uh, Samuel. Chapter 22, verses 9 to 12. Steve, you look like you have it. Would you read it, sir? Yep, first Samuel 22, 9. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing among Saul's courtiers, answered and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, and Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and he inquired of Adonai for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent word to summon the Kohen Himelech, son of Ahitub, and all the Kohenim of his father's house who were in Nob. So they all came to the king. Listen now, son of Ahitub, Saul said. Here I am, my lord, he said. That is First Samuel 22, verses 9 through 12. Yes, you are right on the money, and I'm in China somewhere. Give me a second, if you would, please. Um, hmm. I'm sorry, folks. I will find it for next week. Actually, next week, Rabbi David will be teaching... Um, now give me a minute if you would. I'll find it real quick, I think. Um, okay, no, that's not it.
I, I will find it. What I'm looking for is a passage where David is on the run, and he is um, he he had come to the uh, to the priest who had the Urim and Tumim. Oh, that's Ezra 2.63. Sorry? It's Ezra 2.63. No, 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 no. Ezra is uh, 500, 400 years later. Um, no, David uh, comes to the priest, and, and the priest takes the Urim and Tumim, and David says, uh, he asks a question that basically goes something like, should we go... And, and attack, um, and and the answer is yes. And then he follows that up with another question, and the answer is also yes. So Urim and Tumim um, were uh, what God had given the people of Israel as a means of uh, discerning the will of God. Uh, so let's look at... Exodus 28, verse 30. Uh, and as some of this is revealed, we'll, we'll come back um, and touch bases on one or two other things. So Exodus 28, verse 30. Yes. Hermano, you look like you have it. Yes. Also, put the Urim and the Tumim within the breastplate of judgment so they will be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before Adonai. Aaron will be will bear the judgment of then Israel on his heart before Adonai continually. Okay, thank you. So a couple of things uh, there about the Orm and Tumen. Uh, first of all, the entire breastplate is called Choshen HaMishpat. Mishpat is judgment or, or discerning. Uh, and the truth is, we really have no clue what the word Choshen means. Uh, this is part of when you have a, an ancient language like Hebrew, uh, that some of the words, uh, we, we, we lose the information, so we don't really know what some of them mean. That's the case with Choshen. But um, the best guess is that it's breastplate of judgment, and the judgment came from uh, the Urim and Tumim. Okay? Uh, notice where it was to be positioned. Steve? On the heart. On the heart. What is special about being positioned, I mean, obviously, from a physical perspective, uh, breastplate would be over the chest, over the heart. But it mentions the heart there specifically uh, because I believe this is part of how Aaron was to discern the, the will of God. It wasn't just it wasn't just um, uh, monkey business, you know, cast cast this, cast that. Uh, and in in each with each of these items, what is mentioned is that uh, this is to be before the Lord or in the presence of the Lord. Um, let's come back to the onyx stones. Well, I, I found the, the, the passage you wanted to read. It's First oh. Samuel twenty three. Ah, okay. If I can read that, please. Uh, now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the Kohen, Bring the ephod. Then David said, Adonai, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul intends to come to Keilah to destroy the town because of me. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Adonai, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. He will come down, Adonai said. Then David asked, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my fellow men into the hand of Saul? They will surrender, Adonai said. So David used the the, the ephod right. to, to inquire of the Lord. Obviously, in this case, the, the ephod 
uh, he is he is referring to the Orem and Tumim, because the the, the whole thing itself. Uh, now again, part of what you're seeing is is a uh, uh, some of these items are interchanged. Uh, the uh, the uh, breast the straps were connected to to the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the breastplate of judgment. Excuse me. Uh, so here, Ephod includes the whole package. Uh, but yes, this is, thank you. This is, by the way, uh, basically the way it worked. Um, questions, uh, basically yes and no questions. And based on that, if you notice the next verse, David mobilizes um, 600 men to move in a particular direction based on the intelligence that he had gotten from the Orem and Tumim. Okay? Um, now, obviously, part of takeaway from here, from this, is the fact that God uses uh, things that work in the culture. And he used the priest a lot for the intermediary. Kind of thing. Not, not just the priest, but the ones chosen by him, like Samuel. Right. As yeah. Intermediaries between God and the Israelites. And, and that's exactly the point. And that brings me back to the uh, to the stones, the onyx stones, uh, because if you remember, if, let's come back to Exodus. Uh, if you come back to Exodus. Um, find it here 28 verse 12 uh, they were described as memorial before the Lord now again uh, this is not the first time where we see this phrase memorial zikaron um, and, and you, you have to stop and say okay what is that all about uh, do we really need to remind God of a particular thing? The answer, of course, is yes and no. Uh, we don't remind everybody. Well, yes. Remember that the priest served a uh, dual role. He represented, uh, he brought the people to God. He, he represented the people to God and he represented God to the people. But in the role of the intercessor, um, he, uh, the stones were memorial in the presence of God. Uh, again, did God need reminding? Did God need additional information? The obvious is the the obvious uh, answer is no. God knows all things. Um, but it's good for us to remind Him, so we remember. Well. Uh, Somehow, in the process of prayer and intercession, uh, what is involved is we bring people before the Lord and we remind God of particular people uh, and basically are knocking on the door saying, Lord, do you remember this person? Uh, they really need your help. And that's what the onyx stones were about because remember that the high priest was in the presence of God and he wasn't just going through the motion of, you know, uh, the, taking the censer and, and putting, uh, 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 putting incense on the coals and coming to the presence of God. And in other words, what he was doing was not merely mechanical. He wasn't just going through the motion. And yes, there were specific steps that God expected the high priest to take, but... Remember, it was first of all about a heart issue. And having the stones as a memorial uh, were to remind God of the people of Israel. Uh, so that's one of the spiritual element of, of the garment. The other one, of course, is the discernment. The third one that we looked at very briefly a couple weeks ago um, was in the same chapter in Exodus here, verse 38. And let's look at that. Connie, if you have it, would you read it for us? 
38-38? Correct. <clears throat> so it will rest on Aaron's forehead, so that Aaron will bear away the inequity committed regarding the holy things, which B'nai Israel set apart as their holy gifts. It will always, it is to always be on his forehead, so that they may have favor before Adonai. Okay. Um, why don't you go back to 36? Okay. 36 and 37. Sure. Also, you are to make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it, like the engravings of a seal, holy to Adonai. Attach it with a violet card onto the turban in front of the turban. So it will rest on Aaron's forehead. Okay. So, again, basically, you have a, a, linen, a linen turban, um, and people guessed it was somewhat conical, okay? Um, and there were blue threads connected from it to a golden plate that said, Holiness unto God. Now, that is relatively straightforward. What, what is deeper and more complex is verse 38, um, because what it tells us isn't real simple. I mean, what it's saying is that um, Aaron is going to be bearing the iniquity of the holy things, which the Israelites are to sanctify by all their holy gifts. Um, and you have to stop and say, okay, now, what? What is this saying? Well, first of all, it's talking about the... Um, the holy things, the holy gifts that the people of Israel were to give God. What is that talking about? Fruits tithes. of the land? Or only gift? No. The tithe? Sacrifices? Offerings of, one, offerings of one kind or another. Um, it's, it's not specific here. Uh, they were to bring these offerings... And part of the picture is that in the act of bringing the offerings, they would incur transgression. They would incur guilt. Now, what does that mean? Well, look, when you come before the Lord to pray, when you do, uh, or you come to service, are we always in a great frame of mind? No. Okay, thank you. Uh, so sometimes we come and we do the right thing with a foul uh, motive. Or we are, we, we come and we sing and dance whatever and our thoughts are somewhere, I won't say China. <laughs> you okay? Uh, in a left different... Field. How about left field? Left field, thank you. That's good. Um, and was so, by a baseball player. And so uh, the, the, the point is, God knows, God knows, and, and by the way, this is something the rabbis understood. Um, there, there was this one rabbi by the name of Kimchi, um, lived about 300 years ago, and he said, you know, the scripture in Isaiah, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. What that means is, even when you come to do something good, you have funky motives. You have motives that are not necessarily good. Why? Because, for starters, you want people to see you. Hey, I'm a good person. I'm doing this, that, and the other. And this is, this is part of what I believe is, is taking place here. That even when the people of Israel would come to bring offerings to God, um, either they didn't get it right and they decided to ignore... The, the process, how God wanted it to be brought, the mechanics of how, or else they, uh, they, they had a, a, a wrong motive. Uh, and you see that, for example, in the prophets over and over and over again, where God is screaming at the people and, and saying to them, you guys bring sacrifices, but your hearts are not in the right place. Well, when, when we come uh, before God, first of all, that God hates sin. God hates unique, 
iniquity. He hates all wrong things. So in Old Testament it's one thing, but in New Testament, in, in today's day, when I come to the throne of God, first of all, I come because of the blood of Yeshua. And I said, Lord, forgive me because of the blood of Yeshua so I can represent myself being covered with his blood. Because otherwise, uh, if you're in sin, God cannot hear you. If we are in sin, he cannot answer us. That's correct. And, and the point is whether you're talking Old Testament, New Testament, the principle is the same. Oh that we cannot come to a holy God if we are indifferent to sin. Yes. That, uh, that we want to say, God, uh, I'm here, and where there's schmutz, zebel, then would you please clean me? Uh, because that has to be first order business, uh, as it was with the priest. Remember, we talked several weeks ago that when they came, before they could come into the, uh, all right, here's a terrible, here's the Holy of Holies, and here is the, um, uh, the altar, and here is the laver. Before they can even come to the outside to minister at the brazen altar, they had to first of all wash their hands. And the Lord was very specific. You don't do this, what happens? Be you die. Um, and from our perspective, it's like, this is a typical example of an angry God in the Old Testament, and now we have you should know. It's the same principle. Uh, God is consistent from beginning to end. And that is that if we come uh, boldly, yes, we come boldly, but we don't come irreverently. We don't come and say, God, hey, what's happening? I have my list here, and I expect you to do this, that, and the other. Uh, there's a price in getting to know God intimately. Um, so part of the, this plate of gold was when he went before the Lord, it was, again, him reminding God and basically saying, Lord, um, you know, your people have been coming and they brought offerings and you know how on the money they were or how they were not would you please expect uh, accept them uh, so the word for accept ratzon uh, you find in other references um, because God wants what people bring to be accepted so, three, three items in the clothing of the high priest that, for me, speak particularly. Um, again, remember that these were not what uh, the priest wore all the time, special occasions, uh, the, the Day of Atonement or, or the consecration. So, now we're going to look at the consecration of the high priest in Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, and we'll skip around some. Um, so let's start, first of all, with, with verse 10 of chapter 8. Now, I want to give you a warning. Uh, this gets pretty intense, you know. Um, animals had to give their lives. So, verse 10 of Leviticus chapter 8. Roger. Moses took the anointing oil and, the, and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and so consecrated them. Okay. Now, again, from our perspective, this doesn't make a particle of sense. If you have a tabernacle, why would you need to anoint it? And then, it was, as we'll see later, uh, not only anointed, but also apply blood to it. Um, that was a visual reminder for the people of Israel about the fact that even God's sanctuary can get defiled by people. 
Now, this is not something that we really get our arms around, and, and I have it uh, on reliable sources that we'll be looking at chapter 16 of Leviticus, uh, Yom Kippur, and that's going to be brought uh, to you by your fearless, your other fearless leader, Rabbi David. Um, and, and, and we'll be seeing some parallels between the consecration of, of the high priest and what, what takes place in Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So, um, the anointing oil, uh, you all know uh, what the word for anoint is? Steve? You don't know. Mashach. Okay, does anybody recognize a word that we've seen before? Mashiach. Mashiach. Okay. Um, Mashiach is the anointed one. By the way, it's Greek. Uh, Christos is the same idea. Um, and the people who were anointed with oil were either the, the priest, the high priest, or the kings. Um, and if you recall several weeks ago, the anointing oil wasn't just, you know, you go to the store and you buy a can of canola oil and you, you uh, put it on, on the priest or the king or olive oil. No, it was, uh, it was put together uh, by someone who is a skilled perfumer. Uh, and God specifically said, if you chew, if you say to yourself, I like the smell of this, and I'm going to put it all over my body, uh, what was the result of that? Yeah. And I mean, we look at this stuff and we say, okay, this is, this is over the top. Well, um, what we find is that things that are extremely precious to God, he is very, very touchy about. And you say, well, this is only Old Testament. Well, what about the book of Acts? Ananias and Sapphira. Did they do something horrible by our standards? I would say no. They just lied. Well, minor thing. They, they lied. Uh, and both of them, on the spot, dead. Why? Because it was a very special time. God was doing something unique, and you could not pollute what God was doing. That was unacceptable. First um, Corinthians 11. Uh, Paul says to them, you guys are messing around with the Lord's Supper, and what has been the result of that? Huh? Some of you are sick, many of you are sick, and some of you are dead. Why? Because they came into the Lord's Supper and they grabbed a piece of bread and uh, chugged down some of the wine and, and he said, you cannot do that. Same basic principle because God is consistent from beginning to end. Uh, you cannot trifle with God. God is, Paul says, God is not mocked. And unfortunately, because we tend to park on the New Testament, we, we have this uh, perverted grasp that God now is our buddy, and we it's all by grace, and that he no longer is severe with us. Um, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, judgment has to begin with the house of God. Why? Why does judgment have to begin with the house of God? Because God wants us to be holy like Him. And if we're not, what's the problem? We represent God alone. Yeah. And if we're defiled and polluted, how does the world see God? They see God as polluted and defiled because we are his representatives. That's why judgment has to begin with, with the house of God. God has to clean house with believers, first of all. 
um, the unbelievers, they do what they do because of who they are. Uh, they're not they're not disciples of Yeshua, but we who are disciples of Yeshua have a special responsibility, and particularly we who are in a position of uh, leadership and responsibility. Remember what James says in chapter three, Bob. No. The good book. Yes. Verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, since you know that we will receive a strict judgment. Why? For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in speech, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. My question about why was in reference to verse 1. Does God want to discourage us from serving Him? No. No, He just wants us to know the responsibility. Yeah. Uh, there's a greater degree of accountability for us who've been given greater authority because like Yeshua says, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, and I'm convinced that some of what we see in the body of Messiah today is because people don't understand what, what the Torah is teaching here. Because the same stats about family abuse and those kinds of things are typical. What is typical in the world also, unfortunately, is what you find among believers. And I know that after 30 years of ministry. Um, I mean, some of that is, is the brokenness of human nature, obviously. But I'm convinced part of that is also the fact that we no longer emphasize the fact that God is a holy God and He expects us to be holy people. Um, so, a couple more things that I like to, to touch bases uh, to talk about. Um, one is that God promises that as they follow what He has laid down for them, He will appear. Uh, Le Leviticus 9, 4, uh, 4 to 6, and 22 to 24. Rachel, if you find it, would you read it, dear? And an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. Through what? And then uh, 22 to 24. Oh, 22 to 24. Sorry. Then Aaron lifted his hands the people and bless them and having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering he stepped down Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting when they came out they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar okay Thanks. Uh, would you also read verse 6? Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Okay, now there's a definite connection, causal connection. You do su such and such, and the glory of God will appear to you. 
The commandments that God gives you, you follow them wholeheartedly and you can expect that the presence of God will, will come to you. Why? Because he wants a relationship. He wants a relationship. Okay. And he can't have a relationship if you're goofing off. Right? Remember what Yeshua said. Each Shabbat in the Torah service, what do we say? Yeshua said, if... Keep my commandments. Is this an Old Testament thing? God is consistent. Uh, you want, you want intimacy and connection with God. You want God to appear. You take seriously what He has to say. And Moses said, "Take it seriously, and the, the glory of God." Uh, the presence of God will appear. And then in verse uh, 22 to 24, um, uh, I, I can't, I don't know about you, I can't get my arms around that and see, imagine what it would, what it would have been like. I mean, scary and awesome and, and I mean, uh, a bloodbath. Well, it is gory. It is absolutely gory, no doubt about it. Uh, but no, I'm not talking about the bloodbath. What I'm talking about is the fire. Um, the fire comes out and the people say, okay, we get it. Uh, this is God. And they shout joyfully and they fall on their face. Why? In those days, pro I'm sorry? They were worshipping? They were worshipping. Uh, in those days, you prostrate yourself before a superior, before the king. They understood that this was the hand of God. You, you, you worship and you get it. Now, what, what is odd, and, and this gets intense, folks, but what is odd is in chapter 10, you see fire coming out for a different reason. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. Roger, would you read that for us, please? I'll go back to it. I sure will. Okay. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, I believe, is what you're asking. Yes, for. sir. Now Aaron's sons, uh, Nadab and Abihu, Right. Each took his own censer, put fire in it, laid incense over it, and offered unauthorized fire before Adonai, which he had not commanded them. So fire came out of the presence of Adonai and consumed them. So they died before Adonai. Now what's spooky here is exactly the same phrase uh, appears in reference to the offering being consumed by God because fire came out of the presence of God and consumed the offering. And in the case of Nadab and Abihu, Nadab and Abihu, fire came out from the presence of God and consumed them. Exactly the same language. And in the case, in the case of these guys, and like everything else, everybody and their mother argues what is strange fire, unauthorized fire. Uh, and some people think, well, they came drunk because then God go, goes on to say to Moses, make sure nobody comes into my presence snuckered. Um But there's, there's a, a phrase here in chapter 1, in verse 1, that I think explains some of that. They did an uh, uh, authorized fire. What's the next phrase? God did not command it. God did not command. God did not command. In other words, they had no business doing that. What they did was not a bad thing. Aaron, uh, when he went in the presence of God, did the same thing. He took a censer, put on incense, made a cloud so he can come into the presence of God. So they did the same thing, but but... God did not tell them to do that. 
I'm just laughing because it brings new meaning to the phrase dead works. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, but again, remember that, that a major part of the theme here in, in the consecration of uh, Aaron and his sons uh, was the fact that God laid a very prescribed agenda. This is what you're supposed to do. And, and they followed it. I mean, some of the stuff is, you know, for us doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the point, the underlying principle, underlying spiritual principle, God says it, you do it. And if you decide you're, you're too clever for God, well, there are consequences. Um, so this, in, in chapters uh, 8 and 9 of Leviticus, we see the, uh, the consecration. In other words, uh, Aaron had to be prepared so that he can be let loose to do the work of being the high priest. Um, very specific, you know, there, there was um, one kind of sacrifice for himself and uh, actually more than one, one type uh, of one group of sacrifices for himself and his family, one group of sacrifices uh, for the nation of Israel. Um, and they followed it to the T. And then, then you have God showing his, his pleasure by coming out and consuming the fire, uh, consuming the sacrifices. Now, again, God works with the culture. Um, if we were in a setting where fire came out, uh, what would our response be? Fear. Uh, fear, horror, all kinds of stuff. It would not be a sign that this is the presence of God. Um, however, because God is God, then He can use ways to communicate to us in our own language. Things that really make, us, make sense to us and we say, ah, okay, this is God. Um, all right, one more thing. I think we have time to talk about atonement. Um, because we see a number of times here um, yeah, uh, we see a number of times um, the phrase that has to do with atonement. Find where I am. Planet of the universe. Okay, uh, l let me backtrack for just a minute. Um, the same, uh, the same pattern of God's glory showing up is something that takes place at, at the dedication of Solomon's temple, um, and it's also part of what John sees when he sees a vision of God um, in, in the book of Revelation, he sees fire, uh, the presence of God just overwhelming uh, everybody who is around him. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about the uh, atonement and um, what, what we see here. Uh, let's backtrack to verse... Uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 15, and verse 22. So let's park on, on uh, chapter 8, verse 15, first of all. Now again, yes, Connie, this is gory. I like it. You like it? Yeah. Okay. So you're not going to run out of here screaming because it's, it's blood. What you read then? 15? Yeah. Moses then slaughtered it, took the blood, and dabbed it onto the horns of the altar with his finger, and so purified the altar. Then he poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. 
Okay. And uh, go back one verse to verse fourteen. Okay. Oh, there it is. Then he brought the bowl of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bowl of the sin offering. And okay. then Moses slaughtered it. Right. Okay, now, uh, when you think of atonement, what comes to mind? Steve? Sacrificing for, for sin. Okay. Someone, someone blew, uh, someone goofed up, screwed up, committed a sin, and, and God provided a way for the sin to be, to be dealt with. Obviously, the, the atonement is Yeshua. He took on our sin uh, to provide atonement for us. And remember that atonement is, is like a multifaceted diamond. Uh, it, it refers to us being forgiven. It refers to us having a relationship with God restored. Um, all kinds of things. But in this case, um, where is the blood going? No, not initially. It's going on the altar? It's going on the altar. For what purpose? Consecration? To consecrate it, okay, that we can understand. Consecrate, again, the word, the Hebrew word for consecrate is kadosh, to consecrate, to set apart, to make holy. You know, if you were here several weeks ago, this is a holy watch. Why? Because it's set apart for me. It's mine. Okay? Uh, to make something holy is, first of all, to set it apart. You and I are believers. We're children of God. We are holy in that we belong to God. Okay? He has a label on us that says, Chaim or Vlad is mine. Uh, so we can understand that, that the altar is going to be consecrated. But why does the, the altar have to be, have to undergo atonement? It's an inanimate object. Remember, we, the, the altar was, what, th three feet? Um, why does it need to have atonement? Does it represent something else? Okay, what does it represent? The people, maybe. Okay. It represents the people. Uh, all right. Let, let, let me let, let me throw something out that kind of stretch us. We have five minutes, so you'll get stretched, and then then we'll, we'll be done. Uh, huh? It's a it's a sacrifice. Uh, all right. It should be clean something. Ah, okay. Now, now you're driving at this. Remember that Miriam, Yeshua's mother, part of her purification had to do with the fact that she brought a, a, a sin offering, which was in the form of, they didn't have a lot of money, so what, what did they bring? Dove. Dove, okay. Why would she have to bring a sin offering because she had a baby. Did she sin in having a baby? No, no. but they're unclean for X number of days after the baby's born. Ah, okay, all right. So, uh, we, we're looking at two things. Uh, the sin offering, the chatat, is either moral, okay, and in, in a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at the sacrificial system if the Lord doesn't show up. Um, and we'll talk about the different kinds of sacrifices. But for now, uh, you sinned, you brought a sacrifice. And the sacrifice took care of that particular sin. 
Uh, again, remember, if you were up north of Israel, you'd have to travel to Jerusalem, bring the sacrifice, uh, and then on the way back, you'd remember that you did other sins, and so you had a bit of an issue here. Uh, so, sin offering was moral, but sin offering was also ritual or physical or ceremonial that had nothing to do with issues of the heart. Where it became an issue of the heart is when you said, ah, forget it, I'm not interested in doing that. Then that became the issue of the heart. But until then, it was that you were ceremonially unclean. And it wasn't just women who had given birth. Men became ritually defiled very easily. You touch a dead body, you become defiled. Okay? So, um, again, remember that God's things, the, sac the, the, the tabernacle came in contact with people all the time. And the people were not clean. And so the altar had to be cleansed. Because what? The sins went onto the altar. Not just the sins, but the contact with people uh, rendered the the altar unclean, ritually unclean. Which is why here in this on this ceremony of of dedication or consecration, it had to be first of all cleansed before it could be used. Yes, ma'am. And also, the animal, it's kind of like you're replacing your sin on an animal. The, yeah. That's, that's atonement for moral, moral issues. And what they did was they, they brought the sacrifice, they laid hands on the animal, they confessed the sin before the priest, um, and then the animal was killed. And the idea was... Um, I deserve to die, and this animal will be my substitute. I got you. Okay. And by the way, there's still something in Judaism today like that, believe it or not. Uh, the day of Rosh Hashanah, the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, there's a custom called Kaparot, um, Correct. And and the men would take a rooster, the women would take a hen, they would swing it over the head and they'd say, this is uh, my atonement, this is my forgiveness, this rooster or this hen will, will go to death, but I will go to, to life. Uh, and that's the idea. However, again, here, what we're talking about is atonement for ritual, uh, ritual cleansing, physical, external, ceremonial cleansing. And that was part of the process. Now, obviously, um, this isn't all that far because we live in a defiling world. We get defiled when we go out. And we have to, to receive God's cleansing. I know we don't bring animals, but it's, it's the same process. Um, any questions before we finish? So is this why Paul was talking about eating animals that have been sacrificed? Right. Well, it's a little different. Uh, animals that were sacrificed to idols. Uh, and the issue there was uh, you didn't go to King Supers, but you went to the local market, and where did the where did the markets get to get their food? Um, the, the temples had animals that were used, and they didn't need the rest of them, so they sold them to the market. So when you got it, you had no clue whether it was sacrificed to. Uh, to an idol or not. That was the issue with, with that. Um, I, I would say, that for me, the take-home in all of this is how God uh, 
takes sin seriously. And you see that especially with Israel. Why? Why especially with Israel? They were the chosen people. Yes, but specifically chosen for what? To represent God. To represent God, to be a holy nation, a nation of priests. And if, if, the, if the priests are defiled, they're useless as far as functioning in that, in that role uh, in representing God. And the same thing applies to us. Yes, Lana? I want to tell uh, a story. When we, when we read this um, about the uh, taking bread and wine, which is like represent the blood and, and the body of Yeshua. Right. Uh, it's happened in Ukraine in our church. Uh, we had young people, and the reason I'm telling that because the thing is we are going to we serve the Lord, and a lot of people don't understand what the mercy of God is, and uh, sometimes. When people come to God, because everybody comes to God and they don't have fear of the Lord, what happened is horrible what happened. So for me, so it was a girl, young girl in our church, and uh, she was a, she finished school and she started working at a job. In our, in our country, it was underground church, so uh, we don't know how people live their lives. Nobody knows, and if you don't, come to the Lord and you don't confess your sin, you could be in very bad trap for the devil. So what happened with this girl, she got a job and she started, uh, her boss uh, was married man and she for, he forced her to, uh, I don't know how he had abused her sexually or not, but what happened, what was from our part as a church, she was coming to church, and she was t she was taking uh, communion, like nothing happened. And it's happened to be like for two years in a row. And she always like always uh, laughed like hee. And one day, so she became uh, in in the end. What happened? She was, somebody talked to her, she was in a church service. Nobody knew about her, what she was doing. And she was looking like very innocent young girl, loving the Lord. She was singing in a choir, she was doing everything. So what happened one day, it was church service, and somebody asked her something, and it was talking. And she tried to love the same way. And he and happened to be, it was like very low, man's voice started coming out of her. And she was scared to death. She was completely demon-possessed. So what happens when we are living sin, that we open door to the devil, and um, in the end, she, she became demon-possessed. <laughs> Funny, but she came to U.S. She lives in Arvada now, and she is on very high medication. Many priests and many churches try to uh, cast demon out of her, it's kind of impossible. When you put yourself in this situation, so when we come to, to, to the services, we need to be clean before God. And of course, not with our cleanness, but with His. But the thing is, we need to be living in fear. You cannot lie, like, Anani uh, and Sapphira, I don't know how to say it in English, sorry. Ananias and Sapphira. Yes. Yeah. Like. This is just a lie. No, it's not a lie. When we come before Lord, Lord already told us what to do. It says in the Bible what we should do. We should love each other. We should, we should confess our sins. We should live holy. We should live like God wants us to live. But it, when we don't, what happens? These words are not for, for just for reading and have fun. These words are life and death, and that's what happened in churches. Well, um... So you pray that God will do a clean-up. You begin, first of all, with you. Bob, would you finish for us, sir, with a word of prayer, please? Gracious and loving Father, thank you for this time that we have set apart to be with you and you have set apart to be with us. Bless us as we 
try to comprehend the amazing things that you did years and centuries ago and the th amazing things that you continue to do today. Be with us as people of God as we are sent out in the world to be your ambassador. In Jesus' name, amen.